Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Brew Hoop podcast. I'm your host, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, Adam Paris. We've got regular season game folks and I'm excited to talk about some real basketball for once. And most importantly, I have two of my favorite colleagues with me from brewhoop.com, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Guys, I've installed my climate-controlled seat. It's set to a very, very comfortable uh, 37 degrees Celsius to ensure that my back is ready for this entire hour or hour, however long of podcasting. How are you fellas doing? I am happy to be back. I'm gone for one episode, and you guys let Mitchell declare that John Henson's going to be the most improved <laughs> player in the league. We tried to stop. We tried to stop him. And I appreciate that, but I'm back to bring things back into alignment, so I am happy to be back once again. And things are good. The hype train is going pretty well. Can't complain. Um, it's a nice little breeze that I'm getting conducting it, so yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it has to be like, it, 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 you probably don't even have to use fossil fuels at this point yet. It's like nah. just running on wind. Yeah, it's pretty much just all wind, maybe a couple leaves, but that's it. <laughs> a couple leaves, so resourceful, uh, Conductor Kyle. All right, well, let's get let's get into the meat of it here. So we finally have some actual Bucks basketball to talk about after the excitement of this preseason, where we got plenty of Pat Connaughton minutes, but um, I'm sad to say we haven't seen as many of Patty C going out there and shooting triples. But what we do have is, is a three and O bucks team that won their initial game against the Charlotte Hornets, one thirteen to one twelve. eked that one out pretty convincing win over the Pacers. Then to follow that one up one eighteen to one Oh one. And then of course, Monday night, they downed the New York Knickerbockers after a valiant comeback by David Fisdale's club. And the bucks won out one twenty four one thirteen, with a number of, of sweet shots down the stretch and Eric Bledsoe, screaming his face off as they made clutch plays. So so we have a 3-0 and Bucks team. We have a team that looks markedly different from what they were like last year. We have a team that is engendering, I would say, an incredible amount of hype for Kyle's train uh, in the regular media. I feel like there's a buck, considerable groundswell for the Bucks to go much further than they have in years past. And the team is playing basically like how we wanted them to play for the past couple of years. They're shooting an incredible amount of threes raw in terms of three point per three point attempt rate. They're ranked fourth per basketball reference, the raw stats. They're third in the league at 40 per game shooting 40% on those threes, which is seventh in league. I mean, it, you know, this is almost like a shooting utopia that we've landed in here with the bucks where they're, they've almost eliminated mid range stuff. So Riley, what what are your initial reactions now that you're back? You've had a couple of weeks to to sink, let this all sink in. You know, what are your initial reactions to these first couple of Bucks games? I would say, especially on the offensive end, the thing that's so different is that it's just pure fun to watch the team. Um, like you said, we've been kind of waiting on this for a while, and now that Bud is here, it's kind of in full effect. I think I saw earlier today from StatMuse something like uh, the highest number of three-point makes over, you know, per game over a season. Bucks history was like 8.8, .8, and so far they've got 16 three-point makes per game so far this season. So, and I'm not sure if that'll hold up, but that's, I mean more than doubling the amount of threes that they're making over any sort of franchise record. And it's just, it's sometimes a little bit frustrating because now we're dealing with three point shooting where it's a lot more streaky, but when they're on, it is so much fun watching the opposing team, you know, edge up grind for, to get within five, four points. And then, you know, the bucks will shoot, you know, 
shoot and make four threes and the game will be back out to like a 15 point lead. Whereas in the past, we were always the team on the receiving end of that. And it was the most frustrating thing in the world. So, so far it's just been a lot of fun and uh, you can't do too much in the way of deep dive analysis of like the stats and everything. But I think it's all trending, you know, positively uh, across the board, especially on the offensive end. Kyle, hype conductor that you are, what? how have you just felt after these first couple games of, of, I would say, basketball bliss compared to past years? I definitely am happy with just the overall positivity that's been emanating from Bucks Twitter. You know, they're, I mean, yes, they have complained when the Bucks have seen their leads against Charlotte and New York kind of dwindle. And, I mean, most of that is because they've just, those teams have had heroic efforts from their guards just not being able to miss. And if that's the only thing people are going to complain about, I'm okay with that, to be honest. Um, But, yeah, just kind of like what Riley was saying, it just looks fun, especially when the threes are hitting. Like last night when Chris Melton just hit three in a row, I was unable to keep up with the tweets just because as soon as I tweeted one, it was like, oh, he hit another one. Okay, get that one ready. And then he hit a third one. I was like, holy crap. (laughs) It was – and it's just fun when that happens. And you can and you can kind of see it with the other players. It's like they seem like they're actually enjoying the basketball that they're playing. And with that, you know, they've also had good contributions from players. You know, Bledsoe has looked fantastic this season. Middleton is shooting threes that we all liked. Ursan and Brooke Lopez have been great signings. Dante looks to be a solid pick. You know, I mean, there are definitely some things that I wish could be, you know, better, like a little bit more Sterling Brown. Tony Snell trying to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, John Henson just deciding to shoot the ball instead of, you know, passing it up despite Saturday's effort where you hit two threes and it was the building might have, Pfizer Forum might have collapsed if he had hit a third one. But overall, I'm happy with it. And I think there's a lot of things that people should be excited for with the season. Yeah, we are living in a post John Henson buzzer beating three pointer world. That is remarkable. That is an outrageous statement that I cannot imagine having said at all for the past several years. The Bucks. the interesting thing that I think seems most acute to me, and it, it, we can touch on this later with our discussion of Giannis, since I actually, I actually think he might still be, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the preseason as well as Giannis finding his way within Bud's offense since she's such a unique player, but it feels like everyone is slotted into a very specific part of Bud's system that he came in here to try and implement. I mean, it's it's just so clear where what everyone is supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be going. It felt like in years past, there was a bit of befuddlement or it might lead to when there clearly wasn't enough of a system or whatever. It just led to isolations on one side, clearing went out and just hoping that Chris Middleton would be able to create something or hoping that Giannis might be able to make some ridiculous drive to the hoop. But this year, it's so clear where everyone is supposed to be. I mean, you have guys, you have your centers running to the corners. You have Eric Bledsoe understanding that he's supposed to be sort of a facilitator, making be able to make drives when it's possible. And his, his passing seems significantly better this year with people in places that are actually useful for them to be to help space the four and create driving lanes. Riley, it feels like everyone knows what their role is supposed to be. And I think that's helped bear bear itself out with some of this low-hanging fruit like just shooting just shooting threes and and limiting the mid-range shots and and isolation stuff that was uh, our scourge of the past under jason kidd yeah and i mean a lot of it was just small adjustments and the key will be how are they 
they being the players able to keep up and maintain those small adjustments? Because we've seen it in each of the three games, though more notably in the Charlotte and the Nick game, where you know they come out after halftime and like years of old, they were really slow rolling into the third quarter. Um, the, the like kind of hints of isolation ball showed just for a second or two, and it wasn't exactly the most pretty basketball. So there's still the possibility that these guys have old habits that they have to break. Um, but you're right that a lot of it seems like, you know, whether it was coach butter, you know, any other competent coach who would have come in, seen what the pretty obvious issues are done, the slight adjustments. Um, and then this could be kind of the product. And I think we need to credit as well, whether it be Bud or horse with the Brooke Lopez and the Ursan signings where how quickly and the Pat Connaughton signings and other things as well, but how quickly this team went from, this plotting antiquated machine of last year. And then over the course of one off season with generally smaller moves, they've been able to craft a modern offense that moves everything into the right places and takes advantage of, you know, the math and the kind of zeitgeist that's dominating the NBA right now. So I think it, it's just like this perfect storm, but the thing that we have to keep in mind is a lot of the pieces were still kind of already there and it was really small adjustments. And that's what makes it more exciting because as they continue to get used to those and make more adjustments, what kind of team are they going to turn into by the end of the year or the years coming? Yeah. I think thinking about this team's offensive ceiling is really entertaining. Watching Chris Middleton be willing to pull up, go for pull up threes has been one of my favorite parts of these first couple of games this year. And Kyle, another, another big improvement so far, and it's incredibly small sample sizes, so we're not going to go crazy on it, but I know you've been looking into it is the, the bucks are significantly better so far on the glass. And if you look at total rebounds, which is kind of a, a, a BS stat a little bit, cause it's just all dependent. It's dependent on pace. It doesn't really integrate any of those kind of things in there. The bucks led lead the league in total rebounds. But if you look at defensive rebounding rate, the bucks are ninth offensive re- rebounding rate. The bucks are fifth in each of those respective categories last year, they were 30th and 26th. And so this wasn't really something that we were expecting. I mean, I would say even in the early going because Bud's teams really didn't have a history of having strong defensive rebounding rates at all, Kyle. Right. And I think it's one of those things where part of it is the personnel. You get someone like Brooke Lopez who, you know, statistically has always been someone that he might himself not get a lot of rebounds, but he's boxed out his guys to allow other players to get rebounds. So that's a big first step. And then you have a guy like Ursan Elisova who, I mean, he's tipping everything. He's tipping it to himself. He's tipping it on the offensive end to go for a basket. So you have those two players in the lineup to replace Don Maker, Jabari Parker, you know, guys that really, in Don's case, can't catch the ball. Jabari is, yeah, we're not going to go there. Um, so you kind of have those two factors. And it kind of, and you kind of look, and Giannis is just skying up in the air and grabbing rebounds. Dante DiVincenzo, for his size, just going in, grabbing an offensive board and drawing a foul. And I think it's also helping that with their shot profile that they're allowing other teams to shoot. Because last year, the Bucks defense would allow, you know, a lot of shots at the rim and three-pointers. While this year, they're allowing more mid-rangers. So, of course, if you they're going to keep missing those mid-rangers, it's going to be easier for them to rebound it because they're not completely spaced out. So it's definitely something that I want to look more into, but it's encouraging signs. I think just having that personnel of Lopez and Ilyasova has been a huge boost and it just seems like defensively they seem to have a bet since it's more conservative, they're not running all over the place and can't find a guy to box out. Yeah. And I think that's what that's, I think that's one of the more important points that that was something that was, I think off debated among a lot of NBA intelligentsia is if these kind of aggressive helter skelter schemes, which, which sometimes occasionally had success. I mean, they're, 
definitely was a track record, but had some success with it defensively in Atlanta. If that just meant you were going to be completely sacrificing your ability to defensively rebound and bucks clearly so far have dialed back their scheme significantly from last year, obviously, and box out Brooke seems to be doing a, obviously the kind of thing they've been doing throughout his entire career. And the same thing that Robin Lopez seemed to be doing in Chicago is, and the same thing that it helps John Henson as well. If you're just, if you're dropping back as, as a big, as opposed to having to help all the way up around the arc, it's just a lot easier to be able to find a man to put your body on to, position people closer to the basket position guys like Giannis. So they're in a better position to grab rebounds as opposed to having to run around and maybe someone missed an assignment. So then it's Giannis just trying to scramble back and contest at the three point line. And then he sends up out of bounds as opposed to at the rim where he's able to sky. And after, uh, as of Tuesday night, Giannis was leading the league in raw rebounds per game. That's crazy. So I think, this is this is going to be one of the more interesting ongoing developments to see if this sticks in any way at all, or if this is just sort of a early season anomaly and that kind of stuff. Uh, is there anything else that is that has been really exciting and interesting about the offense or defense that's been standing out to you, Riley? Um, I think two things that I kind of noted, and again, this is only three games in, so this could change as the year goes on. But um, I like the minute load per game so far for Chris and Giannis. Um, so Giannis last year, he averaged 36.7 the year before 35.6 and the year before 35.3 so far through three games, he's only averaged 34.7 minutes a night. Now that also can be kind of chalked up to his foul trouble. We can talk about that, but then for Chris as well, he's only averaging 32.7 versus 36.4 and 36.1 and, uh, his year from injury where it kind of dipped, but we're, we've been so used to seeing those two guys ridden for long sections of games and, you know, throughout the entire season to help, you know, claw this team towards any semblance of ability to win. So, so far, the fact that they've been able to drop that a little bit and we'll see how that kind of progresses throughout the year. That's been interesting. And then the second thing that I've noticed um, is how lean the rotation is. So, so far, there's only been nine guys um, who have played in all three games and had 14 or more minutes played per game. Um, and the four guys, I believe, who didn't get on that list are Christian Wood, Delhi, Pep, Connaughton, and Sterling Brown. Um, and that's compared to last season, where for that same parameter, 16 total guys made that, you know, grouping. So that's over a whole game day roster. And that's including the likes of uh, RIP, DeAndre, Liggins, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd say those two things, um, minor and worth, but worth keeping an eye on to see you know, how do injuries impact that? How much more are we going to have to rely on Giannis or maybe how much less are we going to have to rely on him and Chris to be able to do things? So I think those are two things that are kind of interesting to keep an eye out for. Yeah. I was going to say, especially against the Knicks, the Bucks had extended their lead in the second quarter with Giannis sitting on the bench. Now, granted a good chunk of that was Chris going supernova and hitting three threes in a row. But I mean, last year when Giannis would sit on the bench that the Bucks would just completely fall apart, unable to do anything offensively or defensively. And so far, it looks like they've at least been able to hold serve. They're not, you know, leaking points. They're not getting completely ran off the court. And that's something that's going to be really good because that way you can allow Giannis to actually get a breather for a little bit longer and not have to play him, you know, eight straight minutes or something. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's hard to overstate just how much having actual either net neutral or positive players in the cases I would say Brooke and Urson at this point to be able to come off the come off the bench or just fill some of those those minutes that were there. I mean, last year you think Thon Maker's getting a decent amount of minutes and for the entire year he was basically a, a net negative player. I mean the Bucks have had a lot of those guys 
lately who are just filling up the fringes at the end. Jason Terry didn't have a good year last year. I mean, and they've, they've basically replaced those guys and, and supplemented them. I, it, DJ Wilson didn't get many minutes, but he would have basically in any minutes he came in at garbage time, he wasn't very good either. And so they've supplemented them with, with players who know what they're doing, have, have played in bud system before or, or understand the facets of it and are, are applying a positive effect on this Bucks team. And I think the, uh, I, you know, one guy who is getting plenty of minutes, uh, if, if we know probably at the expense of get someone like Sterling Brown is Dante DiVincenzo and Dante DiVincenzo is a, actually like a very fascinating player to watch. And so as the Bucks are moving on and they seem to be getting a little more professional with how they carry their business and, and get pull these wins out, we're going to do the same thing here on the Brew Hoop podcast. We're going to introduce a segment we like to call On Like Dante Kong. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it might be a working title. Working, well, you, know, you, guys liked, you guys liked it earlier, so um, that's uh, that's cool. You turned on me now. Um, so I just wanted you to say that with that voice. Yeah, that's really cool, guys. Uh, so, well, so the, I think it's just it's interesting to highlight how Dante fits in because I mean, in the entire preseason, basically, he, he couldn't make a shot. He's managed to hit some come the regular season now, but he does stuff. He, he does stuff. That's like the best way to describe it is he actually does stuff as opposed to guys like Rashad Vaughn and DJ Wilson, who's basically seemed invisible on the court. And let's see, I, I think we can go around here, but the first thing I'd like to highlight is Dante. There was a possession in the Indiana game where um, there were the Bucks defense was a little off kilter. Dante was guarding a guy in the corner and I forget if it was Victor Oladipo or someone else who was on the wing, but the ball was passed to hit to the guy at Pacer on the wing. He was completely wide open. Dante DiVincenzo helped over just enough, got his like hand kind of in the way to distract him enough that the guy felt that he might come over to contest, caused him to uh, basically give the ball up and sort of uh, glitch the possession. And then Dante helped back to his guy in the corner. And it just, it just seemed like the type of actual, cerebral defensive play that I wouldn't expect from a rookie. Grant, he's a little older, but that was something that stood out to me. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I think for me, it was when he went in, skied in for an offensive rebound and was still able to draw a foul. And especially just for someone his size, he's not really someone that I would expect to, you know, even win that rebound, let alone like get it, protect the ball and draw a foul. So I think for me, that was one of the things that really stood out to me just because it, it was one of the things that he, everyone knew he had this like, athleticism where he had this like vertical and he had this ability but we didn't know to what extent it was going to go to so to see him just come out of nowhere and grab that board i think that was for me like one of the things that stood out and also i would love to go with the white dante segment but i know that doesn't go over well with um some of our readers so we're just gonna have to work on that so it's a season-long project that one <laughs> to make the people understand. No, I would say um, in terms of Dante, what I've been most impressed by, and this is probably more indicative of um, my biases of him as a prospect slash when we drafted. Cause I mean, obviously I hated it. I'm, I'm on record. I hated the pick when it happened, but same here. I think what I assumed was this is on the first off guy who got hot in the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm going to go ahead and try and give benefit of doubt to the front office that that wasn't a major deciding factor. Maybe it helped, but I kind of thought, you know, six man gunner type, and I didn't expect him to be able to flash a lot of, you know, other skills. And he, he's not like fantastic at them, but I've been impressed with his ability to, you know, play, make a little bit. He's, 
been solid enough, you know, with ball control and then also finding guys in the pick and roll. Him and John Henson seem to have or of trying to build some sort of chemistry. A lot of his passes are maybe a little too spicy and a little off target for John when he's rolling to the basket, but he's found a lot of creative ways to get his teammates the ball in open spots. And that's something I, you know, wasn't fully expecting. And then like Kyle said, the rebounding has, it's, it's not crazy, but he's serviceable. And then finally also on the defensive end, and this is something we saw in the first game against Charlotte is that he's been subbed in, in specific defensive sets, um, which is, you know, both high praise and unexpected for the fact that this rookie in his first game, first regular season game, he's getting thrown in at a very critical moment at the end of the game for defensive help. And he's been pretty solid running through screens, kind of switching like you were just talking about Adam as well. So I think it's just reassuring three games in and there's still stuff for him to work out. But the fact that he's been able to show much any show a whole bunch of different things and he hasn't been thrown off by the spotlight per se, or the fact that he's playing in his first NBA games, uh, that's reassuring for, you know, at least the medium term for, uh, you know, what Dante could turn into. All right. Well, that's been the first iteration of that segment. Apologies for the horrible name slash pronunciation. We'll work on it. But I, I think I, what I want to touch on is your, you started talking about defense there and Dante DiVincenzo being able to work around screens, particularly in this Bucks offense. I mean, they, they had him guarding Victor Oladipo at points uh, the other night for, for gosh darn sake. And what I want to touch on first is, is this revamp, revamped Bucks offense. So I'll just give you guys a few different statistics. I think I think we all can see like a, a marked difference from last year. So particularly in the pick and roll, uh, go definitely go and read Eric Name's piece on the Athletic if you have that. It's an excellent piece about Eric Bledsoe guarding the pick and roll Bucks revamped defense and this idea of rear contests. So Bledsoe coming from behind the picks to try and get blocks and that kind of stuff. But so the Bucks are are fifth in opponent free throw free throw attempts per field goal attempt, um, which are, they were 29th last year, which is sort of one of those tenets that Bud wanted to talk about, which is, you know, not fouling as much. And then in, in particular as well, it, that's another one of those low hanging fruit things that we've talked about, where it's just like a small tweak here and there, and just a little more discipline on the team that can, that can pay huge dividends. The more interesting thing one to me is the uh, opponents are attempting the seventh least three pointers per 100 possessions. That's per basketball reference against Milwaukee, which is 27.6. And then importantly, they're actually very small sample size, but the Bucks are allowing the least corner three attempts in the league, which was actually a huge issue with Bud's uh, defense in Atlanta. They were, they allowed, I believe it was the most right corner threes in the league last year. That's been sort of a bugaboo for them for a while, but the Bucks have only allowed literally 2.4 corner three attempts per game uh, this so far this season. And I, I expect that to potentially change. That's definitely way too small of a sample size to expect forever, but that's been interesting to me. And then they have allowed the third most mid range jumpers in the league, which is basically what we're seeing this defense be designed to do. So they're, they've allowed 20.7 mid range jumpers per game. And so Kyle, what are just your first impressions of what this bucks offense is designed to do and how you think they're uh, doing in it so far? I think right now they're at least designed so that they're not allowing teams to just fire off threes at will, um, which is, I again, odd because of Budenholz's system last year. But it seems like a lot of the teams they've gone against, though, are players that kind of look for that drill, like shoot off the dribble, mid-range, you know, like Kemba Walker, Victor Oladipo, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, guys that are going to pretty much take any shots off the dribble that they can. So that is something that I noticed, but it just seems more, it doesn't seem like I have to sit here and be like, 
How is that guy wide open? How, why is this always happening? Can they not get anyone to stop? And I know at times they do get a little bit caught off guard with the, you know, I guess like Kemba pulling up from three off a of pick and roll. It's been a tough thing to guard. Trey Burke, I know last night he was getting to the hoop pretty easily, but it just seems like it's more with it being more conservative. I don't have to kind of have that, oh crap, that guy's wide open and you can see it a mile away kind of thing. So it's going to be something that I don't know if that's going to continue, but especially with the corner threes, but it is a positive sign that even if they are going against guys that will pull up off the dribble, they're trying, they're containing it to the best of their ability. And, you know, the more mid range that teams fire up, the better. Yeah. One of the things that, with that aggressive scheme that they were running, you, one of the thoughts was that you're going to be able to get a lot more turnovers that way. You turn that into easy buckets with this, this Bucks defense. But by the end, when the Bucks were allowing so many three pointers and so many shots in the paint, it's like at this point, you're, you've pretty much tipped the scale far too far, far too much in one direction to be able to recover enough in the other end. You'd have to have an outrageous number of, of turnovers per game, outrageous number of turnovers converted in the points. And that just wasn't the case for the Bucks. So, I think this defensive scheme, at least to start out this year, is a far superior way to approach it. Uh, what have you thought of it so far, Riley? Well, I just kind of echoing your guys' thoughts. The fact that it's systemically worked so well that each of the three opponents have kind of fallen into the same trap over and over and over again. And, you know, to their credit, it was, I believe, in ranking, it's the 11th best, 18th best, and 15th best offenses by offensive rating so far this season. Um, and this is whatever recording on Tuesday night, but you know, kind of middle of the pack offenses. And the fact that for one reason or another, they all kind of were like, okay, we'll take the mid range shot. And that might be something that, you know, we'll have to see how effective is that when you have teams who aren't going to fall into that trap, who are a lot more kind of like mirroring the Bucks, where they're like, okay, well, if you're going to give us the mid-range shot, then we're going to have to, how will they respond schematically to take that zone away and force the Bucks to adjust? So I think there's still a lot of questions. Um, I've just been impressed with the fact that it's worked for three games in a row. Um, and at the same time, we have to keep in mind that they eked it out in two games um, and they let Mario Hazonia eat them alive yesterday, which was infuriating. And so there's still, it's not, you know, a perfect machine. And there's, there's been a couple of times where, you know, they've tried like a really high up the court trap and then all of a sudden, you know, whoever the ball handler is for the other team gets it out. And then we're back to, you know, days of old where the team is scrambling to try and catch up from shooter to shooter as the ball moves across the court. So I still think there are some aspects of last year's defense. And this might be something we kind of expected with the fact that Bud kind of ran a similar ish scheme, but I think, Defense is one of those things, even harder than offense to kind of get a feel for three games through. And I think we'll learn a lot more, you know, this week or next week, I should say, against Boston and Toronto and then during the West West Coast road trip. But so far, I'd say it's uh, pretty promising across the board. Yeah, the thing that the thing that stands out to me is it's there seems to be such a high point of emphasis on the point of attack defense, which isn't always the case like you can sometimes get away with hiding your point guard and those kind of things and when the bucks were you know had their big man out who was aggressively hedging and trying to allow the the point guard to recover and that kind of stuff it wasn't as big of a deal but there's a huge huge emphasis on eric bledsoe on milcom brogdon on dante divincenzo being able to get around that initial pick 
And you could see, I mean, Indiana was going to pick after pick after pick to try and get Victor Oladipo free. It, it worked for Charlotte when Kemba Walker was able to even just get a sliver of space. And I'd expect teams to, as they, as teams, some point guards try and dribble into the mid range and we clearly allow those shots. I expect some teams to maybe move that action up that up in the half court and set those screens up a little higher, especially for a guy like Kemba. And then he's able to get, get those kind of shots and, and force the bucks to try and see if, if Brooke Lopez and John Henson are willing to come out even just a little bit further. And then that could short circuit there, the bucks defense a little further. But I, I think, you know, at, at this point you, you have to be heartened by the fact that even if you almost always like every defense is basically going to try and give up some type of, some type of shot or be giving up some type of specific points. I mean, the whole, the hypothesis behind, Jason Kidd's defense was, and Sean Sweeney's defense was basically that they're not going to allow like any shots, which is clearly, uh, clearly backfired in their face. But this one, obviously, Budenholzer has made it purposefully try to allow other teams to take what is considered the least efficient shots in the game. And if that's what they're going to be working with, at least for the time being, I'm 100% happy with that. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about if uh, Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, Malcolm Brogdon, do you think those kind of guys can hold up with that, you know, basically having to exert that type of effort the entire year defensively? I think Eric Bledsoe can just because he's a seasoned veteran. He's still very athletic and quick. So I think he might be able to. Brogdon, I feel like it depends on who the other guard is. You know, if it's going against Kemba or Damian Lillard or John Wall, I'm going to be a little bit more concerned than if it's someone like Ricky Rubio or Reggie Jackson, you know, guys that aren't really as quick with the ball in their hand. Um, Dante, I'm curious, because as much as I love Dante, I know there's going to be a rookie wall. I know at some point he's going to probably not be as efficient and as effective. So he's going to be someone that it depends on how he handles the rookie wall. I think that's going to be something to look out for. So I think those three guys overall they'll be able to hold their own. And I mean, like I said, against a Kemba or Lillard, John Wall, Westbrook, Curry, you just have to hope for the best with those guys. But you know, with some of the other point guards in the league, they should be able to manage and come out better. Go ahead, Riley. I was going to say, um, uh, one guy that I would be kind of concerned about, um, and this is a season long trend is Giannis on that end. And that's more so a function of the fact that he's working so damn hard to get every point and every call on the other end. So how much is that going to drain him? And, you know, to his credit, he's 23 going on 24. He's in the best shape of his life, et cetera, et cetera. But over an 82 game season and into the playoffs, how much energy is he going to be expending on the offensive end to continue his output there, which is pretty critical to the way that the offense actually works. And how does that translate to his effort or his ability to kind of keep up on the defensive end? It hasn't felt like so far the, through the first three games that he's been, you know, targeted or anything. And there's been a couple of times where he'll get angry at, you know, whatever, getting stuffed and smacked and slapped on the other end. And then he'll go out of his way to sky for a block or something along those lines on the defensive end. But I just think it'll be interesting to see, Yes, the guards might be able to hold up within the style, but is Giannis going to be able to give 100% effort? And how critical is he going to be at the end of tight games um, with the defensive scheme the way it is? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I think so far, I, I was I think Eric Bledsoe will hold up. I mean, I I think his slightly, I think his slightly less frenetic offensive output so far seems to indicate that he might be willing to 
be sacrificing a little bit of, of that kind of stuff on that end, going up for, for crazy finishes at the rim and instead trying to pass it out to an open guy and then use some of that energy that he's saving on the defensive end. Dante DiVincenzo seems pretty good at slipping around screens. I, I, I wonder if Malcolm Brogdon will be able to hold up. I, I think you're right, Kyle, in, in saying that obviously I don't think it's necessarily right for us to expect him to hold up against the you know, upper echelon guys of the league. I mean, Eric Bledsoe couldn't even do that against Kemba Walker, but I think him being a little more slow footed, I'm curious, hopefully his, his, his wingspan will allow him to get, to get to those kind of rear contests and, and let him keep up with people. But he's the guy, I guess at this point, I might be a little bit more concerned about. So I think we've touched uh, a lot on the defense so far. And we talked a ton at the beginning about how the offense seems to be flowing at uh, significantly higher levels. But I, Riley, you mentioned this earlier, but because we're relying, the Bucks seem to be relying so much on, on three-point attempts, it's, there's just sort of a different feel to this offense. It's, you know, last year we would definitely get in points where the Bucks were stuck in a rut. They might not be scoring. They, you know, have, you know, two years ago, you had a guy like Michael Beasley and you were like, oh, wow, it's actually pretty convenient we have this guy because we don't have anyone who's willing to create right now. And, and the Bucks still sort of fell into offensive ruts last year as well and but this year they're they're definitely of a different making they still seem to be getting good shots and, and working within the system but their three-point attempts just sometimes don't fall and that's allowed teams to come back like the knicks did mon- just monday night so what do you think about this sort of ebb and flow nature of this new milwaukee bucks offense i'm not too concerned about it i would say it's something that you just kind of we're going to have to adjust to that other fan bases might have already have with their offenses a lot more three-point heavy I think a lot of people who are a lot smarter about basketball than I am would say that it's not so much, um, how do they put it? It's it's more so how many attempts are you getting up and kind of the come and go nature of the shooting itself. Um, that's just kind of expected. So I'm not overly concerned about it. It makes uh, nightly viewing a lot more stressful because instead of consistently blowing teams out by 20, you let them kind of climb back in as you go cold for a stretch. And one thing that I would say that the only thing regarding three-point shooting and its emphasis that concerns me is the number of possessions where Brooke Lopez walks up and he's still 40 feet out from the basket and he just, you know, 10 seconds into the shot clock jacks up a three. I guess I'm, and that's, it's not all on him. There's other people like Chris, he was on fire last night, but he would just kind of walk up and just jack a three too. So I'd say... I have some concerns, not so much with them being streaky because that's going to come and go, but how are they getting those three-point shots? Are they actually, you know, with ball movement and driving and kicking, which is a lot of effort, or are they walking up in a half-court set, five seconds of the shot clock, pass it to Brooke Lopez, who then, you know, shoots a three, and maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. Um, So that would be the one concern, but I'm not too worried about it being, you know, we're suddenly going to have two months where the team is hitting 10% of their three point shots. So I'm not worried about that. Yeah. You think about that and you contrast that with the past couple of years where I, I was totally fine when Mirza Toledovic might be trailing and he'd get a, he'd get a shot, you know, four or five seconds into the shot clock from the top of the arc. Just because the bucks were shooting so few threes. And honestly, that was probably a pretty dang good look considering the bucks offense back then. But now when you think about the level of looks that Milwaukee's able to get, it, it, you're right. It feels like when when you're doing a shot that early in the shot clock by a guy who's maybe not Chris Middleton or or Tony Snell or that kind of stuff, it does feel like a bit of a sacrifice and and isn't necessarily the kind of shots that you'd be looking for. Kyle, what do you think about this this revamped offense and and how it's you know it, it definitely goes up and down, but I mean for the most part it's it's just it's far more optimized than what we've had in years past. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where 
I kind of wonder if it was in reverse in which the Bucks always started not being able to hit shots and then it gets to the third quarter and they're just on fire and maybe instead of and just I'm kind of curious to see how that would affect the mindset. Otherwise, I mean, a lot of the shots, especially in the Knicks game, they were wide open threes and they were good looks and they were, you know, not like five seconds into the shot clock. They were maybe like 10, 15. So you're working your offense enough to you got a good look with a good shooter, whether it was Ursan or Brogdon, Middleton, Lopez, you know, guys that are pretty good shooters and they have a good look. It's just not going in. And, you know, when it happens once to twice to three times, and it's like, okay, a little bit concerning, but I think it's just one of those that I think we'll still have to adjust to if they go one for 13 in the quarter. Yeah, it's not great, but there's going to be mean regression. They're going to, you know, maybe not go 10 to 13, but they'll go like six to 13. Seven to thirteen, so it's just something that, that that will have to be, you know. I think that's something we'll have to adjust to. It's just understand that there's going to be a regression of the mean, both in favor of the Bucks and against the Bucks. But the other thing that's kind of slowed down their offense is they really turned the ball over a lot in the third quarter. It seems like, and maybe I'm just, it's just being worsened by the fact that they can't score. Then the other teams going on their runs during that quarter. But it seems like the turnovers have increased in the third. And I know during the Charlotte game, it was because Charlotte went with the super small lineup that gave the Bucks fits. And another chunk is Giannis, you know, kind of bulldozing his way through players and getting offensive fouls and traveling. So I think it's going to be the turnovers that are going to be more something we have to look at because if the turnovers can be cut down, then I think those open looks, they get more of those open looks, they go to the basket, or Giannis gets those baskets right at the rib. If, yeah. I, could just, go ahead, if I could just follow up real quick on the Giannis point, I'd say... Giannis so far this season, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but I think over the course of the year, the concerns about the fact that three-point shooting teams can be streaky as evidenced by, you know, teams in the playoffs like Houston in the last year's playoffs can be offset by the fact that we have a player like Giannis who is, you know, obviously head and shoulders above pretty much every player in the NBA, especially when it comes to his ability to attack the basket where you're not scheming or you're not gearing totally up towards everything has to come through the three. If it's not dropping through the three, you're pretty much screwed in this case throughout the year, you'll be able to go to Giannis. And so far this season, he's really had to work to be able to make it happen, but he's still posting stupid, crazy numbers. So I think the concerns are even lessened even more because you have Giannis who's able to give him a different look if everybody's getting dragged out, which is the beauty of the fact that we wanted all this space around Giannis. So I think that's just something we have to keep in the back of our mind that will probably come into effect more so as the year goes on. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And obviously, I, you know, coming into this year, teams would be certainly trying to divert almost all of their attention onto Giannis. And he's been trying to force his way on, under the basket. And we've seen that played out with his significantly higher turnover numbers this year. We've seen him clearly get frustrated when he's not getting foul calls. Uh, so It'll be, I'll be really interested. So, I mean, for, so for example, so we're watching this Bucks offense and they're seem to be kind of stalling out at points. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird reality when we're watching, I'm watching this next game. Third quarter is not going Milwaukee's way. The Knicks are making a ton of mid range jumpers. The Bucks offense seems kind of like, it's like, it's not necessarily working. The, the players seem to be kind of frustrated with the fact that the three point shots aren't going in. They're still shooting them, but you know, you can kind of tell that there's a lot of frustration that sets in. And then like, it's, it's, it's weird that I saw John Henson, like get the ball at the top of the arc and he had a ton of, Enos Cantor gave him an absolutely ridiculous amount of space. And I would say realistically, even if this isn't amazing, I would be like, well, if the 
Bucks were like feeling like their offense was flowing and they're hitting threes. I bet John Henson just shoots that shot. That's probably what Bud would want him to do. But instead, he passes to Giannis. Giannis tries to do this crowded penetration, misses a, a finger roll as he's trying to get in there. So I'll be curious about how the, the players react when they get into those sort of fits and starts, because I know for us personally, it's it, if it's an adjustment for us to try and get used to the fact that we have this significantly more mathematically optimized offense, it has to be different as well for these Bucks players when they're thinking, okay, these shots aren't going in. Are we going to keep doing them? Are we going to keep uh, continuing this momentum? You know, what kind of ailments should we try to do? Should we, are we going to force it trying to go to the rim? Is, is Eric Bledsoe going to be doing that kind of stuff? So I think that's on the tough shot express. Yeah, exactly. I think that's going to be an interesting, interesting point to watch, especially with the, the marquee three, if that, if that sort of persists throughout the year or not. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, any, anything else, uh, early season takeaways from you guys before we move into a little bit of a preview for what's to come. Um, I will mention, kind of mentioned earlier that the turnovers, so per NBA.com, the percentages of the turnover um, so far this year is 17%, which is not good. Hopefully that, that can be cut down. Like I said, Giannis being able to not run people over and draw a lot of offensive fouls and traveling would be a good start. Um, Bledsoe still kind of does that thing where he like gets and gets to the lane, goes up in the air and like kind of realizes he doesn't have a shot. So like try and contort his body and throws a pass. So it's not happening as frequently, but it's still a thing. So I think that's going to be something that I think turnovers, if they can reduce that, is going to a help their offense and b not make the um not make the uh, stagnation stagnation as an issue. Right. I'm going to close. I'm going to close with one positive, one negative. Uh, one positive. We should, if we're going to have the Dante segment, we need to have the John Henson most improved player campaign segment. Oh. So uh, yeah, shout out to Mitchell. Uh, so. <laughs> So far through three games is per 36 stats, obviously with a huge grain of salt, but he's posting 5.9 points, 16.6 rebounds with 5.5 of them being offensive rebounds, 4.2 blocks. He's got a 19.1 PER and is, has a three point attempt rate of 29.4%. And I just wrote next to that, LOL. So uh, we'll just have that every week. And then the negative, I would say, and we kind of expected it going into the year, but the fact that uh, Thon and DJ and, uh, you know, most painfully for me as Sterling Brown's, my adopted son, they haven't really gotten any burn at all. And I'm going to assume that's because they aren't as good as everybody else on the team. And that's a little depressing. So that was kind of expected, but to see it, you know, kind of actually in reality, uh, is a sobering thought, but you know, if we're scoring and beating teams consistently throughout the year, I guess I'll forget about it for the moment. I wonder if that's actually going to be true. I'm, I I have some I have some curiosities about Bud's particular system and how the season is going to go. And I I think this is I think this is a question we talked about beforehand: is how much is is Bud going to focus on like playing the veterans so far and going for these wins? And obviously, we've seen Dante plenty, so that that's been kind of curtailing that thought a bit, and I I think pushing it a little bit to the background. But I mean, if 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 he wasn't playing that much, and let's say Pat Connaughton's playing in his place it's almost like, okay, well, you, you pretty much just like going all in on this kind of group of free agent people that, that horse brought in. So I think that's something we should revisit when we have a, a little bit, uh, a little bit larger sample size from what Bud's hoping to get out of the system. So plus with Don right. being injured, that didn't help him. Yeah. That's true. Season. Yeah. Um, He's probably right. quote tweeting right. himself though, right now as we speak. So people <laughs> look out for that. He's probably quoting himself. It is cool that John Henson has taken the mantle from Thon for um guy that gets a gets a cheer whenever he shoots a three. 
It's really, really weird. It's uh, the most 28 thing, 2018 thing of 2018. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the week ahead because the Bucks actually have a pretty good test here within the next five games. Sands like against the Magic. I don't I don't know what to do with the Magic. Um, but starting tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers. They're going to have a good test. It's going to be at home against in the Pfizer Forum, so that's good. Bucks struggled with the Sixers last year. I saw them personally, uh, the Sixers personally, smack the Bucks out here in Philadelphia, which was tough. But the interesting thing about the, about the 76ers is that we were talking a lot about point of point of attack, point of attack emphasis defensively. But the Sixers run the last year; they were the least in terms of frequency running pick and roll in the league. So it's likely we won't see those types of point of attack defense be as much of a huge thing. They're doing a lot of dribble handoffs. So they're doing a lot of less uh, specific pick and roll action up at the top. So it'll be guys kind of trying to work around those, those handoffs and having to run around the court and stick with their guys. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see whether they lapse back into sort of the helter helter skelter uh, poor habits that they had in years past. So uh, any uh, terms of uh, what you're looking for in that game against the Sixers, Sixers Riley? Um, nothing too crazy. I think the advantage will kind of be in the Bucks' favor, if especially since Ben Simmons is a coward and won't take threes, and Markel Fultz looks to be completely, or at least near broken so far. So um, that's two of their stars. Embiid is obviously a handful, but I'm just curious to see. Um, I think they have like the ninth best defense so far this year. So just to see, you know, as we hit. You know, wait, is it in Philadelphia or is it in Milwaukee? It's in Milwaukee. Okay, well, never mind then. So, I don't. I guess just as the defense, as we face better defenses, and if we do start running into issues with, you know, opposing teams who have the type of talent or the you know roster build up to or roster makeup to give us issues, how do we respond to that? So I expect us to win because that would be you know, Pfizer and Forum National TV. It's the Sixers. Everybody hates the Sixers. Come on. So I'm looking forward to it, but I think just more so a better defense. What does that mean for Milwaukee's offense, especially if we go cold, um, et cetera, like that? Moving on to Friday, then the Bucks face off against the Timberwolves. We saw them smack some Jimmy Butler-less T-Wolves in the preseason. To me, Jimmy Butler seems like the kind of guy who would want to exploit this defense incredibly. I mean, the T-Wolves seem to like those kind of mid-range shots. They also have Derek Rose. So this seems like exactly the kind of guys who will be an interesting test to see whether the gambit pays off. Kyle, what, what are you looking for in this T-Wolves game? Um, for the T-Wolves game, I mean, we kind of talked about this is a team that actually likes taking mid-rangers. They have players that would favor it in Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Derek Rose. Um, I'm curious to see how Carl Anthony Towns will do because I think he's going to be the one guy that He's going to be the one that gives Milwaukee the most problems, but he's not even getting shots on his own team. I think last I saw, he was like fifth in usage, fifth in shots attempted, which is really, really bad considering he's their most talented player. Um, so I think it's going to be that's going to be something to look forward to. I still expect Milwaukee to overall win that game as they are a better team. They have a better coach, and Minnesota still has its weird drama with Jimmy Butler and if he is or isn't going to get traded and he's still lambasting Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins while also giving Tyus Jones a lot of praise. <laughs> so the Timberwolves <laughs> are a weird team. I think they're like the team that, you know, that's a game where if Minnesota hits 60, 70% of their mid range, then the Bucks might be in trouble. But overall, I'm not too concerned as long as they're not giving Carl Anthony Towns the ball. 
Plus, Kyle and I are going to be in the stands, so they have to win it for us. I've watched them lose so many times and be so obnoxious in the stands and get served crow. So they got to do it for me and Kyle. I would say they've only won once since I've gone to games and watch in Minnesota. So hopefully it changes. Perfect. Yeah, guys, you definitely go. It seems you guys have a good track record. Okay, so they face the Magic. Magic on Saturday. I just don't. Yeah, I'm not. We're not. I don't want to talk about that one in depth. It's what Mobamba, Jeff Hammond, Jeff Weltman, a lot of Jeffs, John, John Horse, a lot of John, John Hammond. Hammond sorry, John Hammond, a lot of J names. Sorry, I isn't Jeff Hammond the actor who played uh, the guy in Jurassic Park? I think he, I think he is. He is now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so Jeff Hammond is the guy that played the owner of Jurassic Park. Wish he was there. He would be kind of fun. Um, all right. So, well, hey, speaking of dinosaurs, the Bucks face Toronto Raptors on Monday. Look at that high quality segue there. Wow. <laughs> uh, yep. And then, okay. So, I'm actually, I'm actually very intrigued for that game. So, obviously, Nick Nurse took over after um, Coach of the Year Dwayne Casey was ousted, and they have Kawhi Leonard, incredibly switchable defense with Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka. Fred Van Vliet gets after it. So I'm, I'm actually really curious to see how the Bucks' offense looks against a defense of that caliber. And Philadelphia will also give a, like a pretty interesting similar test. So Riley, what are, what do you, do you think the Bucks' offense, how do you think they'll respond to a team that's able to sort of match up with their, their level of length and uh, ball movement? You know, I think, and we've kind of been talking about this. I know we had the round table go up as well, but I think this one would be one where they might have, you know, significant issues insofar as we're still early enough in the season where like we've talked about throughout the podcast here, the team falls back on bad habits on occasion, especially if things aren't falling. So I would say if that's doubled up by the fact that you're facing a defense that also is in your face the entire time and makes your three point shots difficult and kind of stalls the offense, is Bud and company, are they able to kind of push through and keep the offense going the way that they want it to? Or is it still early enough in the season where things are still kind of clicking into place where it's, you know, so stifling that at least for this first game against the Raptors, the Bucks just don't have it offensively. So I think I, I don't have high expectations going into that game, but that'll be the thing that'll kind of look out. Whereas it looks like the other teams that we faced and will face, there's at least a chance that, even with issues, we should be competent enough to keep the offense kind of going. How does that happen if you really get stalled? Yeah, and Bucks have always seemed to historically have some issues against the Raptors. And, of course, we were talking about point guards who could potentially exploit that point of attack defense. I think Kyle Lowry is definitely in that group. Another guy who's in that group would, would be Kyrie Irving, and the Bucks plays Boston next Thursday. Kyle, Boston's been a weird team so far. They're... You, it seems like the chemistry is a little off. They're trying to work Gordon Hayward back into it, work Kyrie back into it after that playoff run they had last year. It, what do you, what are you expecting the the Bucks to do in the in this matchup rematch of their playoff series last year? That's going to be interesting because with I mean Hayward doesn't look like he's one hundred percent back, and I don't even know if he's. I mean he looks okay, but that I mean he's. Hasn't looked great. Jalen Brown has looked pretty bad, which is shocking. Kyrie Irving's had a couple games where he just hasn't shot the ball well. It seems to be, you know, Jason Tatum and Al Horford being really the only guys that are still consistently doing a good job. I don't, it's going to be weird because, I mean, Boston just lost to the Orlando Magic. And I know a lot of that was because their shots weren't falling, but it's going to be interesting to see how Boston responds because I think. 
if there's a time for the Bucks to attack them, now would be the best time. I I don't know how much switching Boston's going to do because I know they did a lot against Philly, but I still like the Bucks' chances. But Boston's a weird team at the moment because it seems like not all of their key pieces are a hundred percent or playing well. Let's all keep in mind the fact that they have the worst offense in the entire league through three games. And I am done hearing about Brad Stevens, this Brad Stevens, that I'm done with it until they get out of 30th place. I'm done with it. (laughs) That's a great call. Let's ignore small sample size there. You're right, Riley. Okay. Let's make predictions for these wins. And we're going to keep track of these as the pod goes on this year. So then we can all um, decide who's going to reign supreme at the end. And we might not even pick actually all the games, but I'm going to keep track of the ones we pick now. So, Kyle, what do you think the Bucks will go in these five games we just detailed? Well, Ben Simmons isn't playing tonight against Detroit. So that's going to be really interesting to see if he's going to be ready to go tomorrow. Um, I'm Even if he was playing, I was going to say they're going to go four and one. I think Toronto is the only game that I don't feel super confident in because Toronto has looked really good. But yeah, especially with no Ben Simmons, I, I'd say four and one easily. You like four easily. Wow. Okay. Riley, what about you? I'm going five and oh, I don't care about. Oh my God. I'm just saying, here's the thing. Okay. You survive three, you know, difficult games in theory. You learn from that and you go off and you kick some teeth in. I'm ready for it. This is maybe this hot starts for real. They haven't gone three and oh, since 2005. So I'm going to keep it going five and oh for the next five games. All right. You, you hype Riley. Wow. You, you take a couple <laughs> weeks off and you get all excited. I'm thinking three and two. I think they're going to win the next three games. Uh, it's going to reach a fever pitch at that 6-0 and mark, and then we're going to be brought back down to earth with a couple of losses against the um, two of the people who are probably going to be the top teams in the East. So I'm uh, going to be the Debbie Downer to end it out, but I feel like uh, I think it's just all that, honestly, all that all that I really care about at this point is uh, just sort of seeing, testing a little bit of the metal of this team, testing the the process of this team. And I think so far the process is is bearing out with wins, If but more importantly, the process seems to be a really successful formula and that's why i was even fine with the bucks sort of giving up their lead last night and i think it allowed the starters to get some good minutes uh working together in bud's offense down the stretch and they'd have to they had to pull out the win as opposed to just you know stopping a team like that i think that'll pay dividends when they get into games that actually matter down the stretch and in the playoffs uh rather than them just bowling over teams so um i'm i'm, I'm in on the three and two mark and i think that'd be totally fine Sorry, Riley. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's whatever. You're a hater. It's all yeah. good. Uh, I thought I was being bold with four and one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that'll do it for for this this entry that we have. We'll have a lot more data and, and games to go off for for the next Brew Hoop podcast. So make sure you check out brewhoop.com. Make sure you follow each of these guys on Twitter. Kyle, what's your Twitter handle again? My Twitter handle is at Kyle Koche. And Riley. I'm at Riley Feldman. That's with two N's on the end. And I'm at Adam R. Paris on Twitter. Make sure you mostly follow at Brewhoop on Twitter. Kyle's the thumbs behind that. Hilarious stuff. You might even get some, uh, maybe you'll even get some action shots of of Kyle and Riley uh, together at this. There will be a Periscope show. I don't know if it's going to be pregame or postgame or halftime, but be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Also make sure. Yeah. Always watch Kyle's Periscope shows. They're always entertaining. Very good. Great stuff. I've turned on the Kool Aid so far. I haven't needed to <laughs> binge five of them at once. Isn't this the time to be drinking the Kool Aid? Ooh. But up. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry, Please review and yeah. subscribe. <laughs> yeah, please review and subscribe. Maybe even leave us a rating. You can, you can, you can call me out for my bad jokes. That's fine. If you leave a review, though, I'll, I'll, I'll appreciate it. I'll even read the bashing that you have for me on air. Uh, but most importantly, go to brewhoop.com as well. Check out everything that we've got going on over there. A ton of game coverage coming up. A ton of other pieces intermittently stretched between there. Kyle's working on a rebounding piece. Um, Andrew, a uh, new addition to the site, is doing some great game recap stuff, working on some an Eric Bledsoe piece. So, so stay tuned to brewhoop.com for all of our coverage, and we'll talk to you next time. Streets of